chapter 12. Will you stand up all over the building if you do not have John chapter 12? Shout, hold on a second. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We, we're not any more spiritual than anybody else. It's just a way that we honor the presence of God and the reading of his word is by standing. And uh, some places you walk into, you take your hat off to honor. Other people walk in the room, we stand to honor them. And this is just a way that we honor the word of God at the City of Hope by standing. John chapter 12, I'm, I'm, I'm moving into a new series called God on the Move. Somebody shout, a God on the Move. God. And we will be um, spending some time in Christ's last, few, or the, the last couple of weeks of Christ's life. And in the last few weeks of Jesus' life, Jesus was on the move. I mean, he was going from one place to another. He was pop, 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 pop. And he was moving like a man on purpose. He was moving like a person that had a destiny. Amen. And, uh, and we are going to, over the next three weeks, we're going to spend some time in the three places that Jesus moved to and from over the last, uh, last few days of his life. Not even so much weeks, but the last few days of his life. Uh, and we're going to see what God has been saying and what God is saying on his way to the cross. And, of course, we accumulate with uh, Resurrection Sunday uh, toward the end of the month. So let's begin in John chapter 12. Let's start at verse 1. If you got it, shout, I got it. If you need a second, say, hold on a second. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead whom he had raised from the dead there they made him supper and Martha served but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Then he said, not that because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. And the word of the Lord is blessed. I want you to look at three people and tell them the God that took it all. The God that took it all. The God that took it all. Father, I do bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. You are the God that knows all, that sees all. You are the God that restores all, that has kept it all together. We honor you this morning and we give you glory and we give you honor this morning. And Father, the God that has wisdom, you know what we need to hear today. You know what needs to touch our spirits today. You know what needs to enlighten our purpose today. You know what needs to set aflame our, move, our lives today. So Holy Spirit of God, be God in this place. 
Send an anointing that makes preaching easy, an anointing that makes receiving the gospel even easier. Father, in Jesus' name, let your oil flow. Let our lives be transformed and get the glory in the name above all names. Somebody help me shout amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Smile at somebody and tell them it's just church. It's okay. It's okay. It's just church. We are now John's gospel teaching us about six days out from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That Jesus in about six days... Uh, five and a half days, seven days, depending on whose calendar you're talking about, um, all the way down to potentially three days, uh, depending on how the days are counted, a conversation we'll have next week. Um, from Jesus' crucifixion, he is close now. The moment is becoming um, right upon him, the Savior who has come down from heaven by his own writ, by the counsel between he and the Holy Spirit and the Father, that he would put on flesh and come into the earth, that he would spend 33 years being the example for all of humanity as to how a Savior should live, as to what the kingdom would look like, how we should express the authority and the power that God has given every human being. And upon being an example, he is also the Lamb that would be offered for the sacrifice and for the sin of all of humanity. The time has come. Somebody say, the time has come. He is six days away from the time of his full fulfilling, his real reason for being here. He healed people, but that wasn't the reason he came. He preached some good sermons, but that wasn't the reason he came. He came to die. And while we celebrate his sermons and we celebrate his healings and we celebrate the tenderness in which he did his life, we must always remember that he did not come just to heal. He did not come just to make joy out of difficult situations. He did not come just to be a friend to those that he became a friend with. He came to die. He came to give his life a ransom for many, was what the Bible says. He came that he would give his life as a ransom for many. He came because of agreement in the holy space that had to do with his life for the life of mankind. And the only way that mankind's debt to God could be paid was by the death of a human being. So Jesus said, prepare me a body. I'll go into the earth. I'll be a human being just like them. And in the process of me moving toward purpose, I will do other things with my world and with my life. I'll deliver, I'll heal, I'll set people free. I will walk along the journey and watch people be drawn to me. But none of those things are the main reason why I came here. And you have to be careful about getting distracted by doing good things if it's not the main thing. And Jesus, who was doing good things, had now come to the end point of the journey where now it was time for him to do the main thing that he had come into the earth for. He is six days away, according to this text. Other texts will say three days. Some uh, of the, the, the theologians will later say it was as much as a week out, what we call seven days. Again, I'll explain the day system next week and you'll understand why there's such a discrepancy. But he is now face-to-face, -face, almost 
face to face with his purpose and with his destiny that he would go to this cross, that he would be hung according to the, uh, the text of the scripture, that God would wait until the Roman army was in charge, the Roman government was in charge of the entire universe so that the, the known world at that time, that God would wait until Rome was in control because Rome was the, 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 the people group whose government instituted what was called crucifixion as a form of capital punishment. It would be the Romans. God needed to wait for the Romans to rise to prominence and power because he prophesied thousands of years ago that his son would go to a cross. And God knew that the Greeks did not crucify by cross. And he knew the Babylonians did not crucify by cross. And he understood that the Assyrians did not crucify by cross. So God had to withhold his promise until the enemy of the promise was prepared to do his job on Jesus. And sometimes the reason why you and I have not yet walked into our season of promise is because God is still preparing the enemy to pull it out of you. I want to help somebody in here. I know y'all don't like to hear that kind of preaching because in today's world, we just, you know, lift your hands and it's all good. And every day is a glorious day. You just got to see it as a glorious day. But God has a destiny inside of you that cannot come out with all good days. Your greatest self comes out through your most difficult days. If you want to learn how powerful you are, you need the pressure of this world on your life to pull out the power that is residing down inside of you. So while God was preparing a body for Jesus, he was also empowering an enemy for Jesus so that when Jesus and the enemy met, the best of who Jesus was would rise up. You got a formidable enemy. Amen. You don't have to say amen, but there is a formidable enemy that God is preparing right now for your life. It might be in the form of a devil. It might be in the form of somebody next to you. It might be in the form of you. But there is a devil that is an enemy. There is something, an opposition that God is preparing in strength so that you can show up and defeat it so that his name might be made great. While David was on the backside of the mountain learning how to be a good shepherd, there was a Goliath that was learning how to be a good soldier. Y'all are not talking back to me in here. And while the soldier was preparing himself for fighting, David was preparing himself for being a king. And what God did at the valley, uh, uh, in the valley rather, was he allowed at the peak of his strength and he allowed David watch this to be at the peak of his faith even though he wasn't at the peak of his strength and when his faith met the enemy's strength faith was bigger than the strength and David's greatness came out of him if you don't like to fight problems you'll never walk in your power if you don't like to deal with what's in front of you, you'll never walk in your power. If you will run from the Goliath, you'll never see that there's a warrior on the inside of you. And Jesus is now prepared by God to deal with the crucifixion that has been laid before him. He is preparing himself for this moment and and in the, in the, in the throes of the stress of having to walk in purpose, he wants to have dinner with his friends. In the stress, in the heartache, in the discipline, in the in the in the in the, the tension of what's going on in his world, 
he asked for his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The Bible teaches us something about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, that they were related. They were brother and sister. And we know something about Lazarus because Lazarus died. And when Lazarus died, he, uh, Jesus came and rose him from the dead. And he rose him from the dead because he knew that, uh, that uh, he would need Lazarus at this stage of his life. And that's why you got to be careful cutting everybody off because there is a time and season of your life where you're going to need them. So don't let your friendships die in this season. So he raised Lazarus up because he was like, Lazarus, I'm going to need you in another season of my life. So I know you want to be done with me, but I won't let you be done with me because I'm going to need you in another season of my life. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus is now sitting at the table with Jesus while Mary is also at the table and Martha is at the table. And you know Martha because Martha is the busybody. In the other texts of scripture, we see Mary uh, uh, at Jesus' feet, but we also see Martha cooking and cleaning around the house and she started to fuss at her sister uh, Mary and, 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 be, and she also fussed at Jesus for letting Mary sit at her feet and she told them something along the orders that y'all got me running around this house cooking and cleaning and I'm trying to serve the master and she's sitting at your feet listening to the master talk and she fussed at Mary for sitting at Jesus' feet, fussed at Jesus for letting her sit at the feet at his feet and she was frustrated and upset because I'm doing Doing all the work. She's sitting and lounging. You're sitting and lounging. Now, I get why you would lounge, Jesus, but she needs to be up working with me. And Jesus, y'all ever felt like that before? You ever felt like that before? Like, hey, man, I'm the only one in here serving, and some of y'all need to be helping me serve. And Jesus rebuked her because she was a busybody and the other one was a worshiper. Y'all know Martha. You know Martha. Martha, had to, Martha was a worker. Martha was a person that got up and worked. Martha was a person that was going to get close to Jesus because she worked for Jesus. And she was the kind of person that through her work, she wanted her relationship. And she only had a limited relationship because you can only get so close to Jesus performing for Jesus. I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen. You can only get so close to him because you know when to lift your hands and when to shout amen and when to say and when to stand and where to stand and what group to join and what, what auxiliary to be a part of. You can only get so close to him working for him. Real intimacy with Jesus is not found in your work. It's found in your worship. So he's at the table with his friends. He's, Lazarus is there and Martha is there. But there's also this woman who's, whose name is Mary. She's at this table with him. And I want to talk to you about Mary for a few minutes when I talk to you about a God that is on the move. Because this Mary, we call her now Mary of Bethany. Somebody shout Bethany. Because he is in Bethany right now and he is at the house, neither, none of their houses, if, we, uh, if the other gospel is true and we believe that it is, they're actually at a man named Simon's house. And his name, he, is, he is labeled as Simon the leper in this particular chapter. And Mary of Bethany is here with Simon the leper. And that's interesting because there is no tag for Lazarus. There is no tag for Martha. But there is a tag for Simon and there is a tag for Mary. She is Mary of Bethany. Somebody shout, of Bethany. She is Mary of Bethany. He is Simon the leper. 
So they are both, they're in Simon the leper's house and Mary of Bethany is there. She is there. And we have to work with this idea because we are theologically in a conundrum trying to define who Mary of Bethany is. There are some people that are saying she is just unnamed. She is or, or unassociated with the Christ. She is Mary, and by whom we get the name, uh, Old Testament name, Miriam, New Testament name, Mar- Mar- Maria, or what we could call now the Greek. In our world, rather, we call it Mary. And she now is, is a, a, she is now confused in all of the Marys of the New Testament. There were... Mary was a very common name, just like Simon was a very common name. She is now lost in the conundrum of all of the Marys of the Bible. We know, for one, that she is not Mary, Jesus' mother. We are aware of that. But we are not certain if she is or is not connected to this other Mary that we have come to know about, Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene now is a very interesting person because we have taught you some things about Mary Magdalene that the Bible doesn't necessarily say, but we've accepted it so that we can have a reason to dance and shout in church. Mary Magdalene, the Bible teaches us about Mary Magdalene. This is what the Bible teaches. I don't want to tell you what the church teaches, but the Bible teaches us that Mary Magdalene, obviously Magdalene means that she is Mary from Magdala. Magdala is a city in Galilee, where Bethany is a city uh, 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 nearer to where Jesus would be crucified. And this is a different space because one of the ways that you would identify people is you would say they were of a place or you would say they were from a place. When you said, but you very rarely said from, you just put their name and the place, Mary Magdalene, Mary from Magdala. Or she's associated with a place, Mary of Bethany, not Mary from Bethany, Mary of Bethany, which means she could be from anywhere, but right now she's in Bethany. Are you following the differences now? This is important that we understand this because the theologues are struggling to figure out if these are two separate people or if they are the same person. If Mary of Bethany is the same person as Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, the Bible teaches, had seven demons that when she met Jesus, she had these demons that were attached to her. And Jesus cast out the demons and she became a disciple. Somebody shout disciple. A disciple. Now, that's an important word because we give that word only to the 12 men that followed Jesus. But the Bible gives that word to a plethora of people that walked with Jesus, and he gave that word to women that walked with Jesus. So men were not the only disciples or followers of Jesus. These were the 12 that became the apostles. So nobody else became apostles, but everybody else were still followers, disciplined followers, disciples of Jesus. Mary Magdalene was certainly one of those. She was one. The Bible says that after the demons came out and off of her that she followed Jesus and devoted her life to following Jesus. She was Mary that was from Magdalene. We are certain about that. Now the church says that she was a woman that used to be a prostitute. The Bible never says that. The Bible just says she was a woman in sin. And the Bible shows that there were demons that were around and connected and attached to her life. The Bible, we have said she was 
possessed by demons. The Bible doesn't say she was possessed by demons. The Bible simply says that there were demons that were on and around that had to be cast off and away from her body. So she was neither a prostitute nor was she necessarily filled with demons. And that's why you got to be careful about the way people will tell your story because people have a tendency of making you a whole lot worse. Than, than, how, than who you really are. So you got to control your own narrative. This is Mary Magdala. And now, now Mary of Bethany was an interesting person because Mary of Bethany also was called a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that she was a disciple. In fact, one of the things that the Bible gives us some confusion about as it relates to Mary, uh, Mary of Bethany and Mary Magdala is that Mary of Bethany and Mary Magdala had a very Similar story of breaking an alabaster box and, and anointing Jesus' feet with their oil. The story is told in three different places in the gospel. So much to the degree that when they stop calling them by name, the only way we call them different people is because one text of scripture says it happened six days from the crucifixion. And the other text of scripture says it happened three and a half days from the crucifixion. And we, and we have argued about whether or not they are the same person. Another point of the story is that the other story, the first story, Mary Magdalene, took place at a guy named Simon's house, the same way Bethany's story takes place at a Simon's house, except his tag was Simon the Pharisee. And in this text, he is Simon the leper. There are so many, uh, so many things that are connected that it makes us wonder if they are in fact the same person or if they are in fact a different person. I, as a theologue of thought, at least in my own right, uh, I have spent the last few years teaching at a Bible college. I know a little bit about the Bible, and I, in my professional opinion, just happen to think they are the same person. I think that there are many clues that the Bible teaches us that these two women are the exact same person. One of them is the way by which we have tagged them. One is of Bethany. The other one we know is from Magdala. But we also see that, that, that they both tend to be disciples of Christ. And the way that we tag people is oftentimes indicative of the way we perceive people, meaning that one writer perceived her as being the center for Magdala. Magdala, where the other writer perceived her as being the, the regenerate one of Bethany. One of them wanted to make sure that she was identified with who she used to be, where the other one would not identify her with who she used to be. They identified her with who she now was. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is important that we understand something about Mary because Mary's name means the wanted child or Bitter and rebellious. Those are the three definitions of her name. Bitter, rebellious, wanted child. And this is important to understand because there were two ways that the ancients named their children. They named them as a prophetic utterance for their future or they named them based off of the experience in which they were having at the time they had the child. So Mary's name is oftentimes not connected to her character. It's connected to what her mama was going through when her mama just had her. I need you to understand. So 
Levi is the attached child that is now about to be born. Uh, and she cried out as she was birthing. Leah cries out as, as she births Levi. And the words that she said is, now my husband will be attached to me. And she named her child the attachment. Levi, that's where we got Levi. Had nothing to do with Levi's destiny, everything to do with her experience. Are you following me now? This is important. I want to give you one more example of this is that uh, uh, Judah, another child that came out, Judah, his name was not praise. The Bible says that after she got done trying to please man, she says, Now I will praise the Lord. And she named her child Judah, which means praise. It was not a prophetic utterance over Judah's life that he would be a praiser. It was her experience that now she was going to praise. Now this is important because Mary's name is wanted child and, and she is a wanted child by someone. But the circumstances in which this wanted child is birthed is a circumstance of rebellion and of Bitterness. It's a, it is, it, isn't it interesting that life can take you through spaces where you can be both wanted and be in a circumstance that cannot, uh, 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 cannot, cannot help you grow into who you need to be even though you're wanted? Uh, many years ago when I was a youth pastor, I watched, this, I watched Child Protective Services take a child away from a mother who loved her child but had a chemical dependency issue. Mom failed another drug test after coming home from, from prison and they came and they took her child. It was no doubt in my mind that the mother loved her child. She gave all of herself to make sure that her child was getting everything that she possibly could give to her child. The problem was is that she had an environment around her that would not benefit the child. So the child was loved but she was in an environment that would never allow her to maximize the love that her broken mother was trying to give her. Are you following what I'm saying? This speaks to how Miriam or Mary was born. Mary was born to somebody that loves her but in an environment that would mess up what God was trying to do in her and maybe that's why we don't hear about her mother and perhaps it's the environment that brought the demons all right, I'm going to help you all over here. Maybe, maybe it's the environment that brought the devils. Maybe it's the environment that messed up her mindset. Maybe it's the environment that made her think less of herself. Maybe it's the environment that made her believe she couldn't go to college. Maybe it was the environment that made her feel like she wasn't worthy to be with a good man. Maybe it was her environment that empowered her low decisions for herself. Sometimes it's not who you're around, it's where you are around because your environment produces what will be birthed out of its ground. I wish I was preaching to somebody that was born in a messed up environment, that grew up in the messed up environment. But some kind of way, when God saw the soil you were born in, he said that you will not stay like the environment that you're in, but I'm going to put my hand on you and you are going to be the different one in your household. Are there any different ones in their household in this room? I, I wish I had a church in here. Are there any folks in this room that know that I'm a little bit different than where I come from? I don't look like the neighborhood I'm from. I don't act like the people I grew up around. I'm the wild child out of the family. My family's crazy, but I've got sanity. I don't know how or why, but I'm not. 
Touch your neighbor and say, I'm just not. I'm just not. I don't know why I'm not. I'm just not. I ain't got no degree like they don't have a degree. But I'm not. I'm not them. I, don't, I, I didn't move just like they didn't move, but I'm not them. I, didn't, I don't have any special nothing about myself, but I'm not them. God has anointed some folks in this room to not be them. Somebody ought to shout, I'm not them. I'm not them. I'm not them. They don't want much out of their life, and I do. I'm not them. They don't want to give God the praise, but I do. I'm not them. Y'all are not talking back to me. They got generational curses that's all over their life and destroying their destiny, but I won't let them destroy mine because I ran across a man that knew how to move all the devils that was messing with my life away. Somebody shout, I'm, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. And the biggest mistake you can make is by identifying Mary with the Magdala that gave her the demons. Woo. So one writer keeps calling her Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. And another writer calls her Mary from Bethany, Mary from Bethany, Mary from Bethany. Now you've got to understand something about Simon. Is that Simon, when he was connected to Mary Magdalene, he was, he was called Simon the leper. Now this is important that we understand something about Simon, or excuse me, he was called Simon the Pharisee. This is important that we understand something about why he's called Simon the Pharisee on one text and why he's called Simon the leper in another text because it's the same thing. He was a person who, had, who was a Pharisee, but you could not stay a Pharisee if you ever contracted a disease called leprosy. You were considered to be unclean if you caught a disease like leprosy was. So they would strip you of your pharmaceutical title, which is to be like a pastor or a priest in today's world. They take away your pastorate and they give you something that's much more normal and put you right in the group of everybody else that's been contaminated and you've got to watch folks that can't wait to pull you down off of the horse they think you're sitting on I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. There, there are people that are anointed at thinking you're bigger. Now, here's the thing is that don't nobody else, you, you don't think you big. They just think you big. You don't look at yourself like you more than what you are. They look at you like you more. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They're really not fighting you. They're fighting their own imagination about you in this place. Uh, and, they, and they feel like their call is to pull you down to an earth you already have your feet on. Am I preaching to anybody in here this morning? He's, he's, he's the perception, the perception, the perception, the perception, the perception, Simon, is that I must now pull because you've got a leprous disease in your system I must now take away the title that I've given you and make you just like me in my eyes so he is no longer Simon Simon the Pharisee he is now called Simon the leper but that's okay because apparently this same Simon had the same encounter with Jesus that this Mary had with Jesus y'all are not talking back to me 
And now Jesus was able, now he was able to sit at the table because Jesus was considered a priestly man. And Jesus was sitting at the table with a man that now had been seen as having leprosy. And Jesus now is able to dine and eat with Jesus. And at this time of Jesus's career, Jesus was trying to honor the law. So Jesus would not have sat with a man that had leprosy because he would not have wanted his, his, his journey to be condemned by the real Pharisees that would have had a condemnation or had a judgment to say about him sitting at the table with the leper. So apparently he did not still have leprosy. He was a man that had been healed from his leprosy. And if you're going to reply to me about what I was broken by, at least reply to me by my brokenness I've been delivered from instead of the broken... There, because there are some things, and if we're going to tell the truth about being saved, there are some things you had to get delivered from. And there are some things God had to pull you out from. Just that you needed Jesus. That's why he came to you. There's a, you didn't get saved because you didn't need him. You got saved because you do need him. You didn't get delivered because you had everything all right in your life. You got delivered because something was going wrong in your world. There was something that was anti-God, something that was anti-purpose something that was anti-destiny something that was anti-God's call on your life and the reason why God showed up is not because you had it together but because you did not have it together and if you're gonna be honest about it I can say that I'm with God now but I didn't always have it together I didn't always have it together. Tell your neighbor, I didn't always have it together. Tell, tell, tell your other neighbor, truth be told, I still don't have it all together. I just know how to put on a nice tie and a dress and make you think I got it all together. But I still don't have it all together. I wouldn't be in this house praising like I'm praising right now if I had it all together. But I needed my spiritual therapy. That's why I got up. I needed to come and not lay on the couch but lay at the altar so that all the stuff that I don't have together can start to work them out. You serve a God that knows how to fix what's broken and heal what's been fractured. And if you'll give it to him. I feel like preaching on that note right there. I need somebody that's broken to give God a shout of praise. My God, your God told the prophet to look on the wall and tell me what's wrong with all of the jars on this wall. He said they're broken and they're marred. And God said those are the jars that I want to use. I'm going to pour oil in broken things, but none of my oil is going to spill out. You've got the kind of God that can hold you together while you're broken and nothing that he has called you to will seep to the floor of your life. I need somebody to give God a better praise than that. You've let your cracks define your altitude, but the devil is a lie. I will go further than my cracks. I will go further than my brokenness. I'll go further than my shardness. Why? Because my life is not in my hands. It's in his hands. Touch your neighbor, say you're on the potter's wheel. 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 And the potter might mess you up, but that's the way he meant for it to be. He meant for your neighborhood to be jacked up. He meant for your parents to be crazy. He meant for you to be born in Rome so that there would be a cross to pull out your power. 
God don't love me or he wouldn't have let me grow up like this. God loves you and that's why he let you grow up like that. Mary, somebody shout Mary. Mary, Magdala. I'm from Magdala, but I'm now of Bethany. I'm, I'm from some stuff, but I'm now associated with the better part of me. Oh, God damn it. In fact, if I recall correctly, that's what the scripture said. When Martha began to fuss about her laying at her feet, at his feet, and rubbing his feet, Jesus said, you have chosen the work. She has chosen the better part. That's what the Bible said. I don't know about you, but I've chosen the better part of my life in this next season. I've chosen the better part of my world in this next. Have you seen your better part? All you got to do is make a choice that you're going to live in your better part and go after the thing that God promised you. All you got to do is make up your mind that where I'm at is not what God said, so I can't stay here. I've got to finish where God called me, not where I'm standing. Somebody shout my better part. He said, this Mary, this Mary, Jesus is eating with his brother. Lazarus, and Martha's doing the stuff Martha does. And Mary, the Bible says, she goes in the back room. It's, it's a very, very luxurious perfume. In fact, it was actually made in India, and it was transported into Egypt and brought from Egypt up into places like Jerusalem. It was made of two ingredients, and both of them it's important for you to understand. The first one is, is, is uh, nardium, which is the, the, the Greek transliteration of the, the nard, the nardium. Nardium is the, it's the wheats and the grasses that are broken up to create the oil that is now called spankner. But not only that, it's also made of something that really blew my mind away, is that the first part of the word, the spike, the spike tusk, the spike tusk, we call it spike, it is like the spike tusk or spike tusk with a T instead of a K. That word is actually bit off the derivative of the Greek word pistos. And the word pistos is an interesting word because pistos is the word that we get the, the English word faith from. So now, the, so now whatever's in this jar now is not just about to be something that smells good. It's about to be an act of her faith. It is about to be an act of her faith. And, and, and because of where it comes from, it comes all the way up from India. And it was something that was gone through, through Egypt and up through the lands and dispersed throughout the Middle East. It was a very expensive, expensive perfume. In fact, it was so expensive that generally only people of royalty used it to bury their royal family. So when they would mummify them, they would dip the... the, the cloths into oils that were expensive and they would lay them on and mummify their dead. That was one reason why spinknut were used. Another reason why spinknut was used is it was also used in the temple and it was a part of the incense that would go up before God. You remember how the Bible teaches that, uh, that they were to offer incense up before God and in the tabernacle of the of, of, uh, of God in the, in the inner sanctum of the tabernacle of God there was incense that was constantly going up before God and the incense represented the prayers that were of God's people and the Bible says that when those prayers would get to heaven God would be pleased by the prayers that were heaven but they weren't not just any prayers they were prayers that came from the oil of spinknard and spinknard is the oil that is birthed out of faith and it is the oil that is costly and anytime 
God, you get ready to do something for God. He won't just take anything from you. What God wants from you is something that is costly to you. Y'all are not talking back to me. See, I want you to understand the difference between Martha and Mary is that Martha worked for God and it cost her her energy to bless God. But Mary worshiped God and there is a difference of cost in what is worked for and what is worshiped for. Y'all are not talking back to me. When you worship, it doesn't just cost you your bodily energy. It costs you yourself. And some of us are so selfish that we don't even know how to get in the presence of God without releasing ourselves. We still want God to know about our problem and we want God to know we need deliverance. But worship is not the place where you ask God for anything. Worship is the place where you just let God be God and God gets to ask you. Worship is when you take your sin and yourself and you leave them at the door and the only thing that comes in is the part of you that God can give his word to and that God can use she laid down at his feet and she was ready to worship him with something that cost her it cost her it cost her but what was the real cost was it the cost because the dollar value was high not necessarily because the dollar value was high that's not the cost of the spinker because Mary if we understand both Mary of Magdala and Mary of Bethany if you want to make them two separate people were considered people women of means they were homeowners which is why I say they are the same person because there were not many women that were homeowners in those days so now they have now this person who is a home so she is not a poor person who is giving Jesus this oil another churchism that the Bible doesn't support she is a woman who has means so she had the money to go get it but what made this oil unique was the rarity of the oil not the cost of the oil and some things get their value because they raise the price and other things gain their value because they are rare uh, and you and and uh, uh, see here's uh, here's the, here's the thing. Uh, I don't know how many of you have even heard of a Bugatti car. How many of you heard of Bugatti car? Right. They say there are only 120 Bugatti cars that exist in the whole world. 120, and those 120 are passed around by about 50 people. So every time you see a Bugatti, somebody that is driving a Bugatti, they are one of about 50, 55 folk that keep passing the same cars around and it has a price tag of about four hundred thousand dollars for this car it is it is what it is now how many of you have heard of a Mercedes 500 a Mercedes 500 most of us have heard of a Mercedes 500 a Mercedes 500 is also an expensive car and they just keep raising the price of the Mercedes 500 every year until it becomes about a hundred and fifty thousand dollar car then you could throw some rims on it and it's 160 then you can get the eight engine eight cylinder engine and it become 180 and you can keep adding stuff to something they keep raising the price on but you see the bay you see the base car all the time on the road there are thousands 
thousands of Mercedes 500s on the road. And they just raised the price. Now, they raised the price because they can raise the price, not because it has real value. The difference between the, the Bugatti and the 500 is not that one of them has an engine, an eight-cylinder engine, and, the, and, and has four wheels. They both have an engine and four wheels. It is not because they both they, one has an eight-cylinder engine and the other one doesn't have. They both have an eight-cylinder engine. It's not because they both don't come from companies that are esteemed. They both come from the same company, and they esteem them, and it's an esteemed company. The difference is not in the price tag. It is in the rarity. And it's one you can't get everywhere. The other one you can get everywhere. One is going to cost you a price in order for you to get it. The other one is going to cost you a mortgage note in order for you to get it. The rarity is what takes the value to another level. There are some things that are expensive that are not valuable. But there are other things that when it is a rare thing to get, it is a valuable thing. And she didn't want to not just break her alabaster box because it was expensive there were a lot of things in her house that were expensive she didn't want to break her box because she could not just go and get this anywhere because it was rare you ought to touch your neighbor next to you and say be careful how you treat me because you can't get me anywhere yeah uh-huh uh-huh, uh-huh. Y'all ought to tell wrong, wrong neighbor, wrong neighbor, wrong neighbor. That was your spouse. Don't, don't, don't tell them. Tell the other neighbor. Say, say, you better be careful how you treat me because it ain't a whole lot of me out here. It ain't a whole lot of people like me that can do you the way I do you. It's not a whole lot of people like me that can make you smile the way you smile. Y'all are not talking back to me. It ain't a whole lot of people that can make your business go where it's going. It's not. There are a lot of people out here and all love them matter, but none of them are as rare as I am. And because of that, I've got value. She's got a rare thing. She's got a rare thing that's going to cost her her faith. She's got a rare thing. And the Bible says that she cracked open this box. Now, we've told the Bible story that she went and, and smashed the box, and it is impossible for her to smash the box and still pour. If she would have smashed the box, it would have been spilled everywhere. And she would have been sopping it off the floor trying to put it on Jesus. But the Bible says, so what literally was probably happening is the container, what usually they would seal these containers with some type of plastic, melted plastic on it. Or they would put some kind of stone in it and she broke that off. The seal. She broke off the seal. And she began to pour her oil on Jesus' feet. Six days. She began to pour. She began to pour the spigner that was a symbol of the embalming perfumes that she would put on a dead man. And it was also symbolic of the, the fragrance of faith that would go up to a God who was in heaven. But even then, as she was pouring, she was telling God that the rare thing is not what I have in my hand. The rare thing is whose feet I am sitting by. And there is nothing 
in my house that has more value than my Savior. And there's not a suit that I look so good in that I can't worship you in. And there's not a building that's so well put together that I can't give you your praise. And there's nobody so intimidating next to me that I won't lift my holy hands because their opinion is not more valuable than your presence. God, help me. Oh, I wish I was preaching to somebody. And the Savior sat and said, give it all to me because I'm not indifferent about who I am. I'm worth it. Yeah. God, help me in this place. Uh, one of the reasons why we don't give God our last is because we don't see him as worth our last. God, help me in this place. One of the reasons why we don't give God all that we have is because we don't see him worth all that we have. But I watched Jesus take the most valuable thing a woman had and said, pour it all on me because I deserve it. Do you remember when the prophet went to the woman's house? She said, me and my son are about to make this cornmeal and we're going to die. He said, what do you have? She said, I got a little bit of cornmeal and I have a little bit of olive oil. We're going to make us a patty. We're going to go into the desert because the drought is so bad. We're going to eat what's remains and we're going to die. The prophet looked at her in her face and said, you and your son are not going to eat this. You're going to make it for me. What kind of man who calls himself a man of God would take her very last bit of food and eat it? But when her obedience kicked in and she realized that the anointing on his life was greater than the need in her life, she gave it over to him. And the Bible says that her son and her and the woman, she ate the cornmeal every day until the famine was over and this was a woman that found herself in a similar situation where God said it's not arrogant when you're God he said I want it all somebody shout he wants it all I said tell him he wants it all it's not worship until your cupboard is bare. He wants it all. It's not worship until what you value, you devalue it. He wants it all. You don't have a life that's bigger than his life. You don't get to chase money when he's called you to ministry. You don't get to be comfortable when he's called you to uncomfortability. You don't get to walk away from your family when he called you the healer of your family. He said, but God, I'm going to cry every night. He said, I want it all. I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. But God is messing with my reputation I want it all you serve a God that will take it all before he calls it worship and God sent me here this morning not to make you dance and shout but to send you a message and don't get mad at me I didn't write the mail I'm just a mailman but God said to somebody in this room I want it all he said what you've been giving me is enough for an applause but I, I want it all. Your applause is not what I'm after. I'm after your heart. I'm after your worship. I'm after what I put inside of you. And I want it all. And I know you're tired, but that means you got more inside of you. I want it till you're laid out at the altar saying, I can't fight you anymore. This has got to be you. Am I preaching to anybody in here that's ready to give it all to him? 
Somebody shout, I'm giving it all, I'm giving it all, I'm giving it all. Wrong, find three people real quick and get out of your seat and say, I'm giving it all, I'm giving it all. This season, I told you God was going to give you some holy connections, but those connections are going to cost you your energy. They're going to cost you your smile. They're going to cost you your comfortability. They're going to cost you everything that you wanted to hold on to. And you've got to let go of what you have, what you counted as valuable, so that God can give you something that really has eternal worth. You have to let it all go. And he said, it's because I'm worth it. Stand up. 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 Stand up and lift those hands all over this building. 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 I hear them saying, I want more. I want more. I want more. I hear him saying, I want more, I want more, I want more. I don't know what you've been giving him, but we've got a comfortable generation. And God says, I want more, I want more. I want to do things in your life and do things in your generation and do things through your family. But it's going to cost you more. It's going to cost you more. Don't give me what you want me to have. Give me what I'm asking. And I want more. Lift those more consecration, more prayer time, more denying of yourself. I want to be able to speak to you when you're, when, when you're in, the, in the throes of your day. I want to be able to interrupt your time. I want to be able to show up in your sleep. I want to be able to move. I want access at every moment, but it's going to cost you something. I'm on the move. I'm on the move. I'm on the move. He said, I'm on the move. He says, I'm on the move. He says, I'm on the move. Because the hour is at hand, I'm on the move. This is the season for some of you in this room, and he's on the move. But you can't do it while you're still angry at the world. You can't do it while you're still afraid of everything. You can't do it while you're still letting their judgment about you hinder you. You can't do it. He said, I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. I want your life consecrated in this season. I want your character raised in this season. I want it all. Lift those hands. Lift those hands. Lift those hands. Lift those hands. You open your mouth and say something to God now. Open your mouth and say something to God right now. He'll be finished when he's done. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I break my lid, God. I break my ceilings, God. I break the thing that I've been holding tight to keep the best of me in. I break it now, God. I've been taught to believe that this is all that I have left. I've been led to believe that this is the only thing of value that I can offer the world. And you're asking me to break the lid of it. But God, what if they treat it like they treated everything else in my life? What if they treat it like the other oils that I gave the world? God says it's not a matter to you because you gave that to them. This oil you're giving to me. Break, break your box, break your box, break your box, break your box. Break your alabaster box. Break your alabaster, but it's all I got, God. Pour it. But it's all I have, God. Pour it. But God, I feel me getting lighter. He say, pour it. I feel my ego getting lighter. He say, pour it. 
He said, I feel my anger starting to dissipate. That's what happens when you pour it. Oh God, I give myself to you this morning. I need you to open your mouth and tell them I give myself to you this morning. I give myself to you this morning. I've been spending too much time working for you. Now I'm trying to worship you. I've been too much time, spent too much time being Martha, hoping that you'd reward my work, when in truth you only reward my worship. So God, I give you myself. I give you what I thought was wise. I give you what I thought.